If you have a copy of the scriptures, I'm going to invite you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 is where continuing our three-part series that we're calling Love and Marriage, um, just exploring God's design for this sacred covenant. And today we're, we're talking to the guys, to the fellows. So, so gentlemen, I, I hope you're ready. hope this blesses you. Um, application's sake, we try to give you a point of application every Sunday, and hopefully it helps our pastors and elders get some feedback on what we're teaching. And so our question today is going to be this. What's one application you can make this week off of 1 Peter 3.7? We're going to look at that verse here in just a second. And this is actually going to come to you if you're part of our email list. Exactly at 11.15 when we end our service today, your phone will vibrate and you'll have this question in your inbox to hopefully send back. If you're not on our email list, you can email the answer to that question to office at livinghopecolumbus.com. And again, that helps me as I'm preparing messages, Pastor Joe and some of our other guys, to make sure that we're communicating in such a way that God's word is coming across clearly. So Ephesians chapter 5, if you want to put uh, flip there and stand with me in honor of reading God's word, if you're willing and able. At Living Hope, we, we often say uh, that we're for the gospel uh, that we believe that the Word of God is true, and so we want to honor that. But also when we stand, it's us placing ourselves under the authority of what God's Word says. And so we're going to look at a couple different verses today. If you're in Ephesians chapter 5, we're also going to look at 1 Peter 3, 7 here in just a second. So we'll turn there in just a moment. Ephesians 5, 25 through 28 says this, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her, with the washing of the water by the word. And he did this to present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. We just sang about that. In the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Now, flip over a few pages with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. If you're able, it'll be up on our screen as well. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7 says this, Husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with a weaker partner. Or your Bible might say, I like this translation where it says, as with a weaker vessel, showing them honor as co-heirs of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for your word. God, I pray today that your scripture would speak to our hearts God, that you would illuminate it by the power of your spirit to help us understand the very things that we need to know to walk in obedience to Jesus today. So God, would you give us open ears to hear from you this morning? God, we don't just want to hear your word, but we want it to change us. So Father, we pray for soft and receptive hearts. But God, even in addition to that, Lord, we pray for obedient hands, feet, and lives. Because what good is it, Father, if we hear your word, but we do nothing with it? So Jesus, may you find us obedient in what we hear today. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. You may be seated. What if you could book the vacation of a lifetime? Where would you go? I read a story this week. Some of you probably heard this story on the radio. I had to look this up to see if it was true. But there was recently a man that had that very opportunity to book the trip of a lifetime. And for him, that was to Sydney, Australia. Or so he thought. He was shocked when he began booking this trip because the ticket cost that he found was about one-third of the typical price of a trip to Sydney, Australia. But he thought to himself, I've just struck a good deal. I can't pass up a trip 
like this. He gathered his belongings, he packed his bags, he was ready to go, he went to the airport and he boarded the plane, but he noticed as he looked out the window to board that plane, and once he got on board, that that plane was rather small. And he noticed that on the interior of the plane that there was only a few passengers, and he began to wonder to himself, how is this plane going to get me all the way to Australia? This is a true story. It happened recently. As that plane took off, he looked out the window. After a few hours of being in the air, the pilot came on over the intercom and said, we're getting ready to descend into our destination. He thought to himself, well, that's rather fast, only three hours to Australia. He looked out his window and he noticed quickly that he was seeing not the Australian outback, but snow-capped mountains. And in that moment, he realized, I've made a mistake. You see, this gentleman, 62 years old recently, instead of flying to Sydney, Australia, he accidentally booked a trip and traveled to Sydney, Montana. (laughs) Absolutely true story, and I found out that this is not the first time that this has happened to a man, all right? You can find stories (laughs) like this all over the radio. And I heard that this week, and I looked it up, and I just began laughing, and I, I just share that. And here's the reminder as we talk to husbands today. We're really simple, aren't we? (laughs) Like just generally speaking, most guys, and I know that there's a few anomalies out there, just just generally, most guys, we're pretty pretty black and white about things. We we try not to exist like in, in a too complicated fashion. You just keep things simple for us, and as men, like we're good to go. Often when I'm driving with my wife, we'll be on the highway just driving somewhere, and Liz will go, Aaron, what are you thinking about? nothing. And I'm like, I'll be honest with you, I even forgot I was driving. (laughs) The fact that we're alive right now is an absolute miracle. Guys are simple. And here's what's interesting to me, the anchor for the next two weeks, Ephesians 5, and husbands and wives and our our, our marital roles, this picture of Jesus and and the local church, what a beautiful thing. Um, This week, we're going to zero in on the role of the husband, And here's what is so, um, I think it's humorous. I think when you study the story of Peter, right, who wrote 1 Peter 3 for us, um, Peter, I think it's so fitting the way that he organized this letter. He's writing to believers we see in chapter 1 that are scattered all over the place due to persecution. And he's writing to encourage the, the church to remain steadfast, to live out the gospel that they claim to believe And then in chapter 3, he spends seven verses, seven verses, Peter does, talking to husbands and wives in their role within the marriage relationship. Seven verses. Six verses are to the wives. One is to the husbands. Do what you will with that information. Right? Peter understood something here. He understood how men work. Like, we're just simple. Don't, keep, don't make it complicated for us. Keep it simple, and we're good to go. I want to give us three practical words for, for men in the room to really latch onto, to hopefully take into your marriage and to help you thrive in your God-given calling as a, a husband. Now, I was thinking about this this week. We talked marriage last week, husbands this week, wives next week. Sometimes we can come to passages like this, 1 Peter 3, 7, and we know it's directed towards husbands. And immediately what we start to do is we begin to think to ourselves, well, I'm not a husband. I'm a single guy. I'm not married. Maybe I'm dating somebody. Maybe I'm totally single. I'm not a husband. This doesn't apply to me. Or maybe you're a woman in the room and you're like, I'm not a husband, obviously. I'm not a husband. How how does 1 Peter 7 apply to my life? 
What do we do with passages like today when they don't directly apply to our lives because maybe they don't seem like they were directly written to us? I was reminded of this simple truth. Second Peter, or I'm sorry, 2 Timothy 3.16. You remember what Paul wrote to Timothy to encourage that young pastor? And he said, read this letter to his church. What do you tell him? That all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable. It's important for us to realize today that even though a scripture passage may not be written directly to us, it's still profitable for us. Paul didn't tell Timothy, he didn't say, whatever scriptures are relevant to your lives are the ones that are profitable to you. No, he said in 2 Timothy 3.16 that all scripture is profitable for us. God wants to speak to you through all of his word if we're willing to listen. And so even if you're not a husband in the room today, I hope you'll tune in and even apply some of these principles to other relationships that you engage in. So let's lay some foundation here. 1 Peter 3, 7. You can follow along in your Bible or up on our screen. Three words we want to look at. Look at how Peter starts this one verse to the men. Husbands in the same way. Let's just pause there for a second. We said last week, based on Genesis 2 and our discussion of marriage, that God has established two distinct roles in the marriage covenant. This is rather simple. God established the role of the husband and the wife. We said last week that while these roles are different in function, that each one is equally valuable to the marriage covenant. And Peter wants us to see today, as he's speaking to the husbands, that if you're married, that you have a role in that marriage covenant. Just as the wife, in verses one through six, has a distinct role in the marriage, the husband has one too. But let's anchor that again. Each role is different. The husband is not the wife and the wife is not the husband. They're totally different, but they are equally valuable. Men, let me speak to you on something that's very important today because I think we need to hear this in our our culture this morning. If you, at one point in time, have stood before God and you have made a marriage covenant, remember what we said last week? Between the husband, the wife, and God himself. That's what marriage actually is. I pray that even after today's message, if there's an area where you fall short, that you would confidently step into the position in which God has called you. We need, I'm gonna emphasize that word again, we need more men who are willing to confidently stand on the authority of God's word and lead in loving their wives confidently, my friends. We need men who rise up in culture again and say, God's word says this, this is what I'm gonna do, and I don't care about the pushback around me. Men, let's not run from our calling. Let's not walk in disobedience to what God's word says. Let's be the husbands that God has called us to be. This, I believe, is one of the most important things that we could talk about in this day and age of what a husband is called to do for his family. This is so vital for us this morning. Three words I want us to consider today, and I hope these are helpful for you based on God's word. First, husbands are supposed to live or dwell with their wives, Peter says, in an understanding way. Verse seven, understanding way. Notice what he said in that next part of 1 Peter 3, 7. He says, live, or your Bible might say, dwell, with your wives in an understanding way. If you, if you have a hard copy of the scripture, circle, underline, highlight that word understanding. This is the only time, I think this is fascinating, this is the only time that word understanding is used in the entire New Testament. 
Peter chose a very specific and unique word to describe the marriage relationship between a husband and a wife. It's a word that means to, 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 to grasp the full reality of something. We could say it this way, that as a husband, when you enter into the marriage covenant, that you're called by God to become a student of your wife. You become a student of her so that over the span of a lifetime, as long as God allows you to be alive together, that you get to know her fully and better than anyone else on the planet. It doesn't mean you simply know things academically about your wife or know facts about her, but it's knowledge about her that is gained through experience. It's knowledge that's gained through, like we said last week, intimate closeness with her. Guys don't like talking about feelings, do we? Some guys in here are like, we, we got to talk about emotions and feelings and all that stuff. Right? I get it. But what does the scripture teach us? And I want to be obedient to God's word. It says as a husband that I need to know my wife deeply. I need to know her, her physical needs, emotional needs, her spiritual needs. When we do that, we're modeling what Christ in the church looks like, Ephesians 5, 28 and 29. Look at what the scripture says. Same way, husbands, love your wife how? As your own body. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides for it and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. The principle is simple. This is a hard one for us. Men, husbands, it means we have to think of our wives more than we think of ourselves. Wow. We have to think of our wives' needs more than ourselves. Consider her more deeply than I do myself. Adopt the attitude of Philippians 2 like Christ Jesus when he came to get his church, where he laid down his own, his own um, self. He just became selfless, the scripture says. And he walked in humility for the church's sake. As husbands, we're called to do the exact same thing for our wives, to daily be considerate of her needs, feelings, and insecurities, to seek to understand her. And listen, it's a lifetime process. The moment you say, I do, to the moment you take your last breath, you are to be a student of your wife. We choose to love our wives like Jesus loved his church. And here's what God has been teaching me over the last six months as a husband I've been married to my wife for 12 years, still figuring this thing out. Some of you have been married so much longer than we have. Too often as men, hear me please, we become comfortable living in proximity to our wives instead of actually dwelling with them in intimate closeness. You know you can live in the same house as somebody but be a thousand miles apart from them. It's not what God has called us to, to do. Peter tells us you need to understand your wife. You need to grasp the full reality of who she is. That means men, our wives need our intentional presence, not simply our proximity. They don't need our proximity. They need our intentional presence. So let me challenge us with a couple of questions before we get to our second word. Men, husbands, do you know your wife deeply? Do you know what she needs from you? And if not, have you asked her? If not, why not? God calls us to dwell with our wives in an understanding way. Here's the second word. It's the word care. God has a unique design for marriage. We know that. In that design, there's unique roles. 
And those roles are seen in 1 Peter 3, 7. Look at what God's word says. Live with your wives in an understanding way as with a weaker partner. Your Bible might say weaker vessel. I like that translation better, vessel. I'd write that in your Bible if that word's not there. You know, we read that word weaker vessel and let's be honest, all of us, our initial reaction is like, Peter, you better watch your mouth. (laughs) Some of the ladies are like, Peter, you won't want me to come back 2,000 years. I'll whoop on you, right? Don't you dare call me a weaker vessel. What what does Peter mean? I mean, that seems kind of like a little bit of a condescending thing. And we understand that there's cultural differences between first century Jewish culture and 21st century American culture. I mean, what's going on here? What does he mean that women are a weaker vessel? Does it mean that women are emotionally weaker? Pastor Joe's going to come up and talk about that. No, I'm just kidding, right? (laughs) Does it mean that women are emotionally weaker? No, no. Now, do men and women often process emotions differently? Yes, and that's a good thing. God designed us uniquely. We're different, but neither is inferior. Does it mean that women are intellectually weaker? No. I like, feel like I'm walking on eggshells right now, okay? <laughs> Just gotta be real careful. Are they intellectually weaker? No. But did God create us in such a way that men and women do view things differently and sometimes similarly? Yes. We're different, but neither is inferior. Are women maybe, is what Peter referring to, are they physically weaker? I mean, basic biology would tell us that generally speaking, that men do have the ability to carry more muscle mass, but that does, does that mean that Peter's referring to the fact that men are just physically stronger than women? Is that what he's talking about? Let me just give you a quick illustration on this one. Thursday night, I'm at my house. I'm sitting on the couch. Me and Elizabeth are watching TV, hanging out, talking. We just finished um, um, eating dinner. Our kids had just been put to bed. And I'm sitting there, and in the middle of our conversation, an eyelash got lodged underneath my contact lens. And I sat there for a moment trying to pretend like it wasn't a big deal. And then my eyes started watering, middle of the conversation, that thing is, I'm just telling y'all, I'm just telling you, say what you will about judge me, I don't care. Um, There's pain, and then there's eyelash under your contact lens pain, just period. I mean, I'm telling you, I'm sitting there, and I'm telling you, I'm 35-year-old grown man, you know, and my eyes are watering, I'm crying, I'm just sitting there, I'm telling you, I'm in so much pain, because that, I mean, that hurts, you don't mess with your eyes kind of a thing. And I'm God's honest truth. I'm sitting around the couch. Liz is to my left, and I looked at her. I said, Elizabeth, I said, I'm here on the edge of death's doorstep, and you don't seem to care. That's exactly what I said. To which my love, my wife, my wonderful wife responded to me. She said, I gave birth to two humans from my body. Don't whine to me about pain. And that's how I know Peter was not talking about women being physically, or men and women being physically, women being weaker physically. That is not what he's talking about. I've never given birth to a baby. I've just had a cold before, and I heard they're similar. You You can email Pastor Joe about that one, all right? So what does Peter mean? If it's none of those things, what does he mean that women are the weaker vessel? I'd write this if you're a note taker. It has nothing to do with inferiority, but position and role within the marriage covenant. Nothing to do with inferiority, but position and role within the marriage covenant. Let's focus on that word vessel for just a second. Again, your Bible might say partner. I think vessel gives us a a better picture here. 
Because we can get so caught up on the, the weaker part of the vessel that we miss what he's talking about. That word vessel in our New Testament is used 23 different times. Of those 23 times, 18 times it refers to a pot or to a, a jar of some capacity, a clay pot or a clay jar. But often when referencing a clay pot or a clay jar, it's a metaphor of a human being. Let me give you an example. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 will be up on the screen. Paul is writing to the Corinthian church for the second time, and he's referencing and telling them about the, the salvation that we possess as followers of Jesus. And he says that salvation, that extraordinary power that he calls it, is held in these vessels or clay jars. He's referring to you and me. It's the Spirit of God living inside of us. Let me show you this verse. 2 Corinthians 4, 7, now we have this treasure in what? Clay jars, or this treasure in vessels. It's the same word they hear that, that Peter is using in 1 Peter 3, 7. So the inference there is that in the marriage relationship, Peter tells us that there's a, a weaker vessel, referencing the wife, and then there's a stronger vessel, referencing the husband. Again, they're not inferior. Peter just wants us to know that they're different. So I'm going to give you an illustration. This is going to fall a little bit short this morning, but you, you may have even seen me use this a few years ago. This has always helped me to understand this verse. I, I brought with me two, two vessels this morning to help us understand this. Here's the first one. This. This was a gift to me and my wife about 10 years ago from my sister. So she bought this glass bowl. It's custom, custom painted by her. It was a, just a really special gift to us that we always utilize at our house. This is one vessel. Here's a second vessel. This is from my garage. <laughs> now, these both have the ability to hold things. They both serve a purpose. They're both very unique in their ability on what they can hold. But, but think about something with me for a second. If we look at these two different vessels here, which one's weaker? This one. And think about this for me for a second. We may give this the title of weaker, but because it's weaker, if I were to take this and just chuck this off to the floor over there, what would happen? It'd shatter into a bunch of pieces. We know that. But if I throw this, this one would be fine. Because we may give this the tagline of weaker, man, this is so important. Please hear this. It also comes with the title of more precious. We see that? And you know what I do? When we moved the last time from our, to our new house a few years ago, when I was transporting this, I didn't just take this and toss it into a box somewhere, did I? You know what I did? I wrapped it in foam. Why? Because this foam was created with a very unique purpose. This foam was created by a designer in order to protect this precious vessel. This foam was created to shield this vessel from impacts and blows that it was not created to withstand. This foam was created with a very unique purpose. Do we see it? The picture that, that Peter is painting for us is not a picture of inferiority. No, 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 it's a different, it's a picture of role and function. Because something is precious, we do whatever we have to do in order to make sure that it's protected. What did the scripture say in Ephesians 5.25? Husbands, men, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And what did he do? He gave himself for her. You could parentheses the word sacrificed. What did Jesus do on the cross for us? 
absorbed the wrath of God on our behalf. What can we do for our wives? We're called to love them like Jesus did, to protect them. And to be the leaders of our our homes, Ephesians 5.29 says, no one hates his own flesh, but what does he do? He provides and he cares for it, just as Jesus did for the church. Men, we care for our wives because they're precious. And God intentionally and purposefully designed you as a husband to care for her. And when when we join our hearts together, with our wives, we're, we're modeling when we care for and protect and we lead. We're modeling what Jesus did for his church. So men, let's ask the question, do you care for your wife in this way? Do you view her as precious in God's sight, therefore precious in yours as well? The last word is the word honor. It's the word honor. This last word complements what we just talked about with the word care so well. It's just an echo. Look what he says. We're showing them honor, our wives, as co-heirs of the grace of life. One person that I read this week said that this phrasing for the husband could be that you choose to give your wife an appraisal of preciousness. The word honor means to place a fixed value on someone. It's not dependent on how, how they act, what they do, or what they say, but as a husband, I made up my mind on June 6, 2011, to always view my wife as precious, to view her the way that God sees her. I thought about that, and I was reminded of Proverbs 31. Proverbs 31 is a a man bragging on his wife, honoring her, and telling the whole world how wonderful she actually is. It was written by a gentleman named King Lemuel. We don't really know who that is. Some say it was a a nickname that Solomon had given by his mother. Some say it was a historical figure. Some say it was just Solomon made the guy up, and he was just bragging a little bit. But notice a few verses here in Proverbs 31 of how a man describes his wife and honors her. He says, who can find a wife of noble character? She's far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts her and he won't lack anything good. She rewards him with good, not evil, all the days of her life. Verse 15, she rises while it's still night and provides food for her household, portions for her female servants. She evaluates the field and buys it. She plants a vineyard with her earnings. She draws strength and reveals that her arms are strong. And she sees that her profits are good and her lamp never goes out. He says, my wife is a hard worker, man. She's such a hard worker. Look at verse 20. Her hand reaches out to the poor and she extends her hands to the needy. She's generous. She's not afraid for her household when it snows, for all in her household are doubly clothed. She cares for her family. Verse 23, her husband is known at the city gates where he sits among the elders of the land. And she makes and sells linen garments and delivers belts to the merchants, strength and honor her clothing, and she can laugh at the time to come. She's a confident woman. Her mouth speaks wisdom and loving instruction comes from her tongue. When she speaks, she speaks life into her family. She watches over the activities of her household and is never idle. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Think about that. Wives, what do your kids say about you? What does your husband say your kids say about you? Listen to this, and her husband praises her. He says, many women have done noble deeds, but you surpass them all. 
He loves this woman. Verse 30 and 31. Charm is deceptive. Beauty is fleeting. But the woman, a woman who fears the Lord, will be praised. Her priority is her relationship with God. Give her the reward of her labor and let her works praise her at the city gates. This guy spends 21 verses honoring his wife, a poetic honoring of the woman that he is in covenant with. So men, our last question is this. Do you honor your wife? Do you see her the way God sees her? And here's a thought. Does she know that? Do you tell her? Let's assume nothing. I've heard that so many times before when people are married a really long time. My wife knows I love her. Are you sure? Are you sure she knows you honor her? As we close, let's just think about this. For some of you, this is nothing new, and praise God for that. But maybe you're not living out the truth of the Scriptures as well as you could. For others, maybe some light bulbs went off today, and you know that God is calling you to love your wife better. But I want us to know this, too, because this is so important as we close the end of verse 7. This is not simply a suggestion for us from the Scriptures. This is a very specific, and if I'm honest, this is a scary thing from the scriptures on the role of the husband. Because if we don't do these very things, Peter gives us a very, very scary warning, men. Look at what he says at the end of verse 7. Do those things so that your prayers will not be hindered. Applying the truths of verse 7 as a husband in the marriage relationship has a direct correlation on whether or not the God of the universe will hear your prayers. And if that doesn't wake us up, men, I don't know what else will. I have to wonder occasionally if sometimes it feels like God is distant and far off, if God's not necessarily hearing the things I'm crying out to him with, if there's a direct correlation between how I'm treating my wife at home or the lack thereof. So husbands, let's be the men that God has called us to be. Let's be a picture of the gospel to a lost world around us modeling for the next generation what marriage can be, should be, and ought to be, protecting God's design for marriage in a culture that seems to attack it on every corner and be the husbands that God has called us to be. I'd love to pray for the men now. Let's pray, church. God, we love you. Thank you so much again for your word. God, I pray that the truth of your scripture, Lord, would resonate deeply in our hearts this morning. God, your word says that it never returns void. That God, any time that your word is proclaimed, that you, you do something with it by the power of the Spirit of God. And I pray that, that would be true this morning. God, I pray that myself included as men and husbands, Lord, that you'd wake us up. That you'd wake us up from our slumber and step into that divine role and calling that you ordained for men to lead in from Genesis 1 and 2. That, God, we would be men of honor, men who love our wives extremely well as we seek to paint this beautiful picture of Jesus and his church. And, God, I pray now as we sing and give you praise in response to your word that, Jesus, our voices would just echo through heaven today as we give Jesus the praise he deserves. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.